This morning, I want you to think about the last time that you ate a meal with a whole bunch of people. I know that's high-level thinking, a whole bunch of people. But the last time that you were together with a whole bunch of people and you ate a meal, what was it like? Did everybody get along? Uh, were there topics that you were supposed to avoid when you got together? I know it's not a direct holiday right now, but think about the next time that you're going to be together for a holiday with family. When you get together with family for the holidays, sometimes there's, hey, let's not talk about this subject. Let's not mention that person. Let's not mention that team. Let's not mention that friend. Hey, let's not mention that failed relationship. And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just trying to be real. When we get together with family and big groups of people, sometimes it can get pretty awkward pretty fast. But then think about the last time that you had a meal that you loved. I mean, a group of people got together uh, you sat down. This was good fellowship. I've got an Uncle Bobby who every time we eat, he looks at everybody right at the end. And you know that the meal has reached this pinnacle when he pats his fat belly and says, it doesn't get any better than this. Like the minute Uncle Bobby says that, whoever prepared the food has arrived. And I mean, everybody has just reached this point. Wouldn't it be great if every time the church got together, now I can pat my fat belly and take care of that for you. But if we got together and we said this, it doesn't get any better than this. What, what if we really said that and what if we really believed it? Now, I'm not going to beat up on you because I do my part in messing that up all the time. But, but the concept is supposed to hold. The concept for us as Christians is supposed to be this. Man, this is a place that we want to go. This is a place that we need to be. And this is a place that, that when we sing and when we worship and we do these things together, we get to be here and we want to be here. Anytime I preach, I like to talk to people. I like to give real examples, but I also like to confess a whole bunch because I think it's good for me. And there are so many times when I get my family up, uh, we get ready to go somewhere and we arrive in body only. You ever been there? Taft, I am here this morning. I could say it's together we stand and sing, and you could all repent right now and come down and say, I am here in body only this morning. Then there's other times when I look around and I see somebody and I'll think, they're really into this. They're really into this. You ready for this part? What's wrong with me? They're, they're really into this. Man, the, the songs, the message. Sometimes you walk out of a church service and you're just a little bit sour because somebody said something or didn't say something. Somebody sang a song or didn't sing a song. The preacher went, oh no, 44 minutes, right? Like, like somebody did something that just messed you up and we forgot that we were worshiping God and it wasn't about me, Taft, and everything that I want. We're going somewhere this morning because I want to lay a groundwork for you to think about worshiping together as the table. Being a table that we all come together for and a place that we all meet together because we believe that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread. Now, let me say that again. We believe that evangelism is one beggar, somebody who's hungry, telling another beggar where they can find bread. It changes the game when we think this way. When we think this way, all of a sudden we say this, I'm hungry. I know that there's other people that are hungry, and I want to tell you about, you ready? The bread of life. 
And so this morning, as I've laid the groundwork for you, I just want to ask you these questions about what it feels like for you when you hear the concept of coming together to share a meal. And I'm not talking about a potluck, but come together sharing a meal, sharing Christ with other people. Number one, does it matter to you? Number two, if it does matter to you, what are you doing for those people around you that are hungry? Now, if we said this is confession time for me, I want to tell you this. I have a room in my house right now. You ready? One room that's immaculate. It's immaculate because of a little girl who's not here. She's already gone to camp named Marley. And this week, what Marley decided to do to help her mom is she got this room ready, and it belongs to Coleman and Jax. And she got this room ready. She went through with all of these different drawers. Are you ready for this? Some of you are going to love this and say, that's my girl. And some of you are going to cringe and say, I would never do that. And she labeled all of the drawers with words that say swimming trunks, T-shirts, all right, uh, jerseys. That, that one's way too big. And she went through all of these things. And then you ready for this? Next level, she drew pictures. She drew pictures so Coleman and Jax can never say, well, I can't read that or that part doesn't make sense to me. So there's pictures and then all of a sudden there's these descriptors and Malia came in, saw this, the room was immaculate and she said, this is great. And then she started to think, in my house, you know, there are many rooms. All right, she started to think that there are many things that can be done like this. But here's my confession for you. Ever since that room got that way, those boys have not slept in it. We have, are you ready for this? We have sealed that room. That room has been sealed. That room has been locked down. It's almost like a museum, okay? And when we talk to the boys at night about, hey, go into your room. Like, like it's immaculate. Don't mess it up. But go in there. Here's what they say. I'd rather not. I'd, I'd rather not go in there. They love it. They walk in and they look around sometimes. They love if, if Brad came over, they'd say, hey, come in and see my room. They'd come in and they'd walk around the room and hope that he applauded the room, but nobody's sleeping there. You ready for this next part? Nobody's doing life there. I fear that that's the church. I fear that that's the church because, you ready for this? We look good. We look good. I mean, I would love to have you stand up and say that this morning, but we're not going to do that. All right, we, we look good. We, we, we do a good job. I don't know if you've ever looked around in here, okay? But, but look around, okay? Somebody has it cleaned. Somebody has it ready. Hopefully this morning you got cleaned and ready, okay? Like you came here together and we look good. But I fear we're not living it out. I fear that I'm not living it out the way that I should at the capacity that I could because so many times I'll say this, man, it looks good. It looks right, but I don't want to do life and mess it up. This morning, go with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. There's a parable here that I want to talk about because when we start to live it out, when we start to say, hey, we are at a table, a table that is prepared, a table that is ready, and we want more people to come and be a part of that, I think you might be challenged this morning because I am every time that I read this. We're in Luke 14. Nixon read a little bit of it earlier. We'll start our read in verse 15. But think for a moment about how many times in your life you've had to save a seat for somebody. And, and saving a seat for somebody can turn into hand-to-hand -hand combat. Like sometimes, I know the school that my kids go to, uh, everybody graduates every grade. I'm just kidding, sort of, okay? But, but there's a lot of graduations, 
Okay? And in the, with the graduations, it can turn into warfare at the beginning. Because people will come in there and they'll get ready and they'll look and they'll say this, I got six, I got six. All right, I got four over here. Early bird gets the warm, but also the person with the sharpest elbows gets the most seats. Okay, and, and so you walk in there and you see everybody getting their seats. You, you see everybody who's getting ready right here. And I remember being at a church service one time where there was a lady who was a realtor and I was a guest speaker and I was kind of surveying the lobby beforehand. And she was the kind of person who believed, and you know what, combining mission and the marketplace, I guess. So she wore her realtor tag to church. She wanted everybody to know that if you had home buying needs, that she was your girl. Uh, and she put it on all the time. Or maybe she just had one blazer and that was on there. I don't know. Can't judge her heart. But she would always wear it. And she had this seat in the back, they told me. And here's what she would say to her husband when they would walk into church. You ready? They would walk in. They would go sit in their seat in the back, and she would say this to him. Not often do many wives say this to their husbands. You ready? Get wide. She would tell him when they would go in there to get wide. And what that meant was you go to our spot and you get wide, okay, like saving seats at a graduation. All right? She would go in there and tell him to get ready and to get wide because this is our family's area. And if somebody else comes in here and wants to sit there, honey, you just get wide, okay? Get that base ready and sit down. I'm being silly, ridiculous, and a little bit funny to say that that mindset with the church can be silly, ridiculous, and sad when it comes to looking at our outlook to be warm and inviting for people. When I talked about my Uncle Bobby, who would always pat his belly and say it doesn't get any better than this, he's also the guy who's notorious at the Antioch Church of Christ in Raymer, Tennessee. I don't know if you've been there, but you should plan your next family vacation to McNary County. He would always try to fit as many heirs people on one row as he could. And he would try to fit everybody in. And if you brought a friend, he'd look at you and say, there's room. Let's fit in. Let's get more people in here. And he would never look at an auditorium as a place that was too full. He would always say, there's a little bit more room. Let's take all these thoughts and go to Luke 14, beginning in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now let's put a pin in there and let's press rewind for a moment. When one of them heard this, what is this? Well, the rest of Luke 14, Jesus talks to them about where you sit. Be careful where you sit. Do not take a position or a seat that is a good seat and get demoted. And this is the Taft version. He says, it's better for you to take a seat in a lower position and have somebody come in and say, hey, you've been upgraded. Okay, like we've moved you up here. It's better to be exalted than to be embarrassed in that situation. And so they go on and they talk in this next part in Luke 14 to say, Jesus used this example and he says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. I don't know if you have jumped into the bulletin. I don't know if you were here Wednesday night uh, to hear the plans for this church, but I'm going to tell you something. It's not often that I take the messenger uh, that's delivered out to us and rip a page out of it. Uh, I don't do that a lot. But when I saw what was prepared for us, man, I ripped that sucker out. I put it over there on our counter. And I told my wife, this is not trash. Okay, now look at this because the church is being intentional. The church has a lot of things that we are planning and aiming to do this summer. And it's something worth getting excited about. 
One of the things that I'm excited about coming up, and you'll hear more about this, is an event that's coming up for this church on the 22nd. It's called on paper, and you'll hear and see some information outside in a little while, about a block party. Now, now some of you hear a block party and say this, what is that? All right, I don't do block parties, okay? Well, you do Jesus, and if you do Jesus, I want you to think about this, an open house, an opportunity to say to the community, we are here. Another confession, my senior year in college, all my friends around me, you ready for this next part, became nerds. My friends became nerds. They got serious about life. That They said, you know what, we're not going to joke anymore. We're not going to play anymore. We're going to get serious anymore. And I'm being tongue-in-cheek when I say that. But they also stopped playing sports video games and started playing this game called, you ready, SimCity. And they loved this game because you could plan a town. You, you could plan this town. You could put it together. You could make sure that the town was functioning. And when I tell you that they got a little nerdy about it, we couldn't go anywhere in public without them saying, shows you my age to some of you, I got to get back to the computer. All right. they, they had to get back to the computer because they were worried about what the water was going to do and what was going to happen with the structure of this town. And I would think, we just sat down to eat. We're at an intramural basketball game. And you're here talking about getting back to the computer to build some fake city? Well, they talked about it all the time, and I started to watch them play this game. And I started to look at their strategy. I started to look at how intentional they were when it came to a make-believe city. But did you know that if we took the city of Columbia, and I believe this, and I've said this to John a lot, if we took the city of Columbia and we strategically made a city, and I'm going to nerd out a little bit, and we placed a church building in the optimal place, I believe it would be right here. I believe it would be right here because I believe that the West 7th Church, or one that I jokingly call the downtown church, a lot of times is positioned strategically, you ready for this, where opulence meets opportunity. Where, where there's, you can go down one street and you can look and you say, these are a lot of people with a lot of possessions. You know, this is a church building that is nice, but I can make one left turn and see a whole lot of opportunity. And so here we are right in the middle of a great city that everybody's excited about. I've never had more people in my job say to me, I've been meaning to get down to Columbia. Like, like, like people say that to me now. It used to be, where? Now it's, man, I've been meaning to get down there. Well, if people are meaning to get down here and we are in the ultimate position, we've got to believe this next sentence from Luke 14. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. We have a great banquet that is prepared for people that are meaning to get here. We have a leadership that is now taking a mantle that is saying this, hey, we're going to be intentional about our outreach. We're going to be intentional about what we're doing. I don't know, maybe we should build a building and call it the Outreach Center. You know, here we are in a position where we're finding ourselves looking at it and saying, there is a great banquet that is prepared and there are many guests for us to invite. At the time of the banquet, it says in verse 17, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. I told you about my kids cleaning the room and about not wanting to use the room. Another thing about my kids is that they are wonderful. They are gifted at making excuses. Some of the excuses that they make are brilliant. 
that they get a lot of it from me because there's always a reason. But, but, but they are very, very good at looking and saying, this is why something didn't happen. This is why something isn't ready yet. And here when we look at this, it says that at this time of the banquet, he sent everybody to come and they all alike, verse 18, begin to make excuses. The first point you'll see if you're looking at the sermon notes today is this. There is no excuse that is new to God. Can I say that again? There's no excuse that I have or that you have that is new to God. This morning when I drove here, it was a casual drive. Malia and Marley got up. They, we packed them up. They left to head off to camp. I had the boys, and we casually drove here. You'll see that because of the time that we arrived. The guys were getting ready back here, and I walked in and in the nick of time to pray with the guys and then went upstairs. Barely got here, Taft style, but it was casual. Didn't break any laws. Went real, real nice and easy. But also, let me tell you this, Wyatt plays baseball this afternoon at 3 you know what? I'm probably going to be casual today after this. And if I know me, I'm going to get in a hurry. I'm going to get in a hurry and I'm going to do what you do, where you plug in the GPS and it makes a suggestion. And it makes a suggestion saying ETA and you kind of go, ah, that's cute. Okay, yeah, it says that. But I bet you that this might happen. Okay. And so all of a sudden, I'm going to go from being casual to being hurried. And you know what? This morning, if you flew past me, I was probably sitting there with my kids, you know, talking about the Bible and the Lord in the car, I'm sure. And, and as I'm driving and you flew past me, you know what I would think? What do you think this is? Talladega? Like, why, why are you driving so fast? Don't you know that the laws of the land, it says speed limit, right? That, that means that that's the highest that you can go. All right, you, you, need, you need to go slower. But let me get in a hurry. And let me get in a hurry and we drop it like it's hot. Like we, we put it down. Like we go. We're gone because we got to get there because my excuses are good to me. Your excuses are good to you. But have you ever stopped to think that there is no excuse that's new to God? You don't make an excuse and God look at you and say, Brother Sale, I haven't heard that one before. You're off the hook. Here in Luke 14, it says, they all alike begin to make excuses. And I love these excuses because they're not mine. All right. The first one he says is this. They all like begin to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Let's sit on that for a minute. You invite me over. You're having a great banquet. The table is ready. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Taff, you are invited. All right? But Taff, we, we hooked it up. We got a nice meal. Hopefully it's meatloaf. Like we are ready for you to come. You just judged me a little bit. Uh, but we are, we are ready for you to come and to be here. And I said this, hey, I just, I just bought this little piece of property. And I'd love to come and eat with you. But I got to go stare at my land. I, I got to go and look at it. You, you would think he doesn't care about our relationship. He doesn't care about the meal that I have made for him. He said, appreciate the invite. Not going to make it, but I got to go and look at my land. But the next excuse that is made is it says this. The first one says, I just bought this property. Got to go and look at it. The next excuse is this uh, here in verse 19. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So the next person tells you this, the modern day equivalent of, I just bought this car. 
Man, have you seen the way that West 7th looks now? It's like smooth. It's so, as my kids say, it's so satisfying. All right? And so here it is, and I got to take the car, and I got to run it down the road. I got a new mower, and we got to go try it out. All right? I got to go use it. Thanks for the invite. Remember, I got to go run this puppy and see how it goes. My favorite is the third excuse. My favorite is the third excuse because, let me say it to all the kids in here, if you don't have a friend that has been in this boat yet, you will. It doesn't have to be just marriage. It can be any relationship. But their excuse is this. You ready? Just got married, can't come. Like, we all know somebody who's gotten into a relationship and dropped off the face of the earth. Okay? Like, they, all they say is, sorry, I'm hitched. Okay, and you think, man, I used to know you. All right, you're somebody that I used to know. You're not around anymore. You're gone. That person, we may call him a sellout. All right, but that person isn't around anymore. But you know what? It's actually biblical. Actually comes what's being referred to here from Deuteronomy 24. You'll love this. Deuteronomy 24, here's what happened. When a young man took a wife, he was excused, you know this, for a year He was excused from a year from going to war, from having anything tough laid on him. And I love this part. This is good stuff. So that he could stay home and bring happiness unto his wife. Some of the women here are going, this is a deal. All right. Uh, More people would probably be signing up for it. But, But there's no excuse that's new to God. And when I ask somebody to come and be a part of this and they give some late breaking, groundbreaking excuse, God's heard them all. But look at what happens next. He says this, another says, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Bring in the people that do not help your bottom line. Can I say this again, church? When you go out and when you are living out the gospel, when we are having a block party and bringing people in to hear more about the West 7th Church of Christ, there is really good odds. I know this from years in outreach. There's really good odds that the majority of the people that will come first probably are not soccer moms. And if you're a soccer mom, God loves you. All right. But there's also a really good chance that the majority of people that will come first are hungry will need something. They'll think they need clothes, think they need food, think that they need your attention. And guess what? What they need is the love of the West 7th Church. And it says, sir, what we have done, what you have ordered has been done. And I love this next part. All right. The next part, point number two on your outline this morning is this. Sir, what you have said and ordered has been done. And this is the message of the church in verse 22. But there is still room. I want you to remember my uncle Bobby, who was always trying to jam people into a pew, all right? Always trying to jam people in there. My mentality as a New Testament Christian has to be this. There is still room. We have two vehicles and we pick up lots of friends. And Wyatt will always tell me, dad, I've got Zane, I've got Nixon, I've got Alex, but we can also pick up so-and-so. It's kind of like when they were little, roll the gospel chariot along. Like there is more room for more people. Man, we've got to load them up. We've got to fit them in. When's the last time you said that about this church? Or did you have the mentality of this? Hey, man, get wide. 
All right, let's go in and let's, let's block it off. We do not want to grow. We do not need more people. If that's your mentality, you are really going to hate heaven. When I look at my life and I look at what's being said here in Luke chapter 14, there is still room. There is still room to add to the kingdom of God. Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and the country lanes. And my translation here says this, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Here it says this. My translation says, compel them to come in. Yours may say this, make them come in. There's one translation, sounds a little violent. It says, constrain them to come in. All right? But the mentality is this, do what you got to do to get people there. Can I say that again? Do what you've got to do to get people there. Be creative when it comes to the gospel to get people in. Now, if you hear me say get creative when it comes to the gospel, if you hear that and you think change the word, make it say what you want to say, do what you want to do, well, then all of a sudden I have let my skepticism come in and get in the way of my mission. When it says get creative, those of you that have been parents before, you want your kids to eat, right? And you'll get creative to get it into their mouth. You'll get creative. You'll find a way to get that kid to eat. Man, I've seen the way that we have taken these healthy foods and changed them up. We've pureed them. We've turned them into games. We've turned them into colorful packages. But it's to get those good things into the mouths that need them. I can do that or I can sit here and say nobody's hungry. No, no, nobody's in need. But I can't look around my town and say that that's actual and true. I cannot stand having things in my life that are presented to me and there's somebody gives me a problem but doesn't give me a solution. Here's what I want you to know as a church. If you have heard this this morning and you said this, you know, man, cool message. I like the idea about a table, but my family doesn't sit around one. We are too hurried. When you said this morning, think about the last time you ate with a big group. I thought, does a line at McDonald's count? Like, like that's a big group, all right? Some of us, when we think about our church family, I grew up in a church family where I was really good at hearing the word of God and staring at the back of people's heads. I was really good because we did all of our life in rows. We didn't do a lot of life at that point in circles. But then once I got to Freed Hardman, I went to college, all of a sudden we started sitting in circles. We started sitting in circles because if I'm in a circle and I look at you this way, sitting at a table, I can look at you and do more life with you when I look at your face as opposed to the back of your head. If I told you I was going to take my wife on a date to spend some quality time with each other, and I said, we're going to ask the waitress if we can go find a table where she sits here and I sit behind her here, and I stare at the back of her head, but we ate and it was good. You'd say, that's not intimate. That doesn't make any sense. But that's how a lot of our church lives have been spent, just staring at the back of somebody's head and not doing life with them. I want to tell you this. We have an intentional opportunity for the time that's coming up, if God gives us the next few months, for us to look and to be very intentional about our outreach. And this morning, when you leave here and you go to coffee and you go to class, right outside here in the hallway, there is an opportunity for you to be intentional about our block party that's coming up. Because we have ready for you packets that are ready with addresses if we can have people from different families, different units, different groups 
to go out here and to look. We have addresses that are ready for people in a radius outside of our church here at our neighborhood where we can send hand-addressed envelopes to people to invite them to come to this block party and to come and be a part of this. It's sitting right outside when you leave and you go here. I don't care if we have a log jam. I don't care if we have a problem out here this morning. I want you to be intentional about that, and I want to read you a message that I got this morning about it. It says, when we look at what's been prepared and what's been ready to, to use the message of our sermon this morning, that we have 10 packets with addresses and names, and in those packets there are 50 per pack. If only 10 families this morning could pick up those and address those, then we would cover the area that we're trying to this morning. I hope that this happens this morning. I hope we go out here and we see people fighting over packets. I hope we see people getting creative saying, hey, I know that's what he said, but you take two, I'll take two, and we'll invite people to something that we think is worthy to invite people to. And let me finish with this. If we don't, then what are we even doing here? If we don't believe that we have something worth inviting people to, then you as a collective group are wasting your time this morning. What I'm doing this morning is in vain. That means without meaning. If I am dragging my family here with my casual drive to get to the West 7th Church, if I don't believe that we have a table that's worth inviting people to. One of my favorite things about this church is that people miss you when you're not here. Sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes they can come across judgmental. Where were you? Missed you for three weeks. And you're like, hey, whoa. And then you got to really reduce it to think, okay, they missed me. Sometimes we don't say it the way that we should. Sometimes you think, Taft, cool story, but I was gone four weeks and nobody called me. Number one, I'm sorry if that happened. But number two, some of us are just not good at saying it and acting the way that we should. But this is an opportunity for us to really put into action a plan that says we believe that there is something valuable here. We believe that there is something, a table worth inviting people to. And also, I don't want to be guilty of doing what we do with my little boy's room. I don't want this to be a church that we just seal off and that we just look at and say, you know, it's clean, it's good, it's right. I don't want to wreck it. I don't want to mess it up. I want to live in it. I want to live through it, and I want to invite people to it. This morning, we want to invite you to the fountain that's flowing free. We want to invite you to an opportunity to reconnect because sometimes we're not good at the external things until we handle the internal things. And maybe this morning you need to align your heart with God. Maybe this morning you need to get baptized. You've been thinking about that for a long time, and you say, man, I've seen people do it. Isn't that a church camp thing? I've seen people doing it. Isn't that a thing that you do when you're at a point in your life where you think, oh, man, there's a problem, and maybe I should just get baptized and fix it? I obey the gospel of Jesus Christ when I realize that my sin separates me from God. And maybe this morning I'm living in that separation, and I don't want to anymore. Maybe for some of you, you hear this, and you think, Taft, I haven't thought that this was valuable or worthy for a long time. I thought this isn't worth inviting people to. But what you really have to answer is this question. Is my heart a heart that's inviting? Do I really want to do the work? Do I really want to bring people in? But what if somebody had had that same mentality when it came to your soul and your salvation and never extended an invitation to you? That invitation is open this morning. The table is set. The feast is ready for anyone that needs to respond as we stand and sing as a church family.